This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. So before we get to the show, I just want to talk about a few things. The first thing, I want to talk about initial ascent packs. This isn't a promotion or anything like that. I I honestly just want to say thank you to Joe and Dennis for donating pack to my giveaway. I love their pack did an episode with them and talked about all the different things I use it for. I use it my entire hunting season and I'm going to use it for my training. I just got a 6k bag that I'm going to use on my elk hunt uh, this fall. And I truly think that it's an amazing, awesome American made product. And if you're in the market for a pack, I sincerely say this, check them out because they're well worth it. So with that being said, check out initial ascent. Also treelineacademy.net most comprehensive e-scouting course that you will ever, ever, ever take online. I don't know what I did before that, but I sure as heck know that I wasn't uh, even close to being in the right direction. So treelineacademy.net, use promo code PC2020, save yourself 20% off on your sign up. And the last one's Basemap. Basemap's awesome. The price point is cheaper than all the other competitors out there. They've got newly updated offline maps, and on top of that, you can do all kinds of e-scouting, and they've got hunt data too, so you can compare draw units and all other kinds of awesome features. Give them a chance. Check them out. Sign up. Sign up on the website and use the promo code PC15. Save yourself 15% on the sign up for base map. Do that. I'm telling you. It's an awesome app. You're going to end up using it, and I guarantee you will like it. With that being said, let's get to the show. Okay, so I'm sitting here, and I am talking to James Gibran. 
and he has pretty cool business and my kids are a big fan of it. And uh, you want to go ahead and tell everybody about yourself and about it a little bit? Okay, sure. Um, so I'm James Gibran. I'm one of the, the co-owners of Smile Outside uh, Children's Book. My brother Luke and I, we own the company together. And uh, we started it about about a year and a half ago now. And uh, basically because my son, who is five now, uh, didn't really have any books that I really liked regarding wildlife uh, for his age group. So uh, my brother and I were talking one day and I didn't like one of the books that I was reading to my son at the time. So we kind of came up with a plan right then and there and kind of just rolled out from there. Uh, he and I have been like huge into the outdoors, hunting and fishing our whole lives. Our, our parents introduced us from a very young age. So it's been a really important and integral part of our lives. And, you know, as my son's getting older now, I'm taking him out more and more. And, and uh, it's really good to be able to introduce him to those things too. So, so the company is like a way that we can reach out to more people and more kids out there who uh, do or do not have the, those same kind of opportunities. And uh, one of the big things we try to do with the company is uh, raise money for conservation. So a portion of each each book sale goes to different conservation organizations that we partner up with. No, it's pretty cool. I like um, I like the accuracy of you know of the stories. Uh, I mean, I know it's only a kid's book, and it's you know a few words per page, and it's you know like a board type book, but it gets it gets the right thought train, the right process. You know, like antlers, for instance. You, you know, people calling them horns or whatever, yeah. or it, it drives me nuts when there's books like that out there. So I understand that totally. Or you've got like a moose wearing pajamas and walking upright. And I'm just, (laughs) to me, (laughs) I'm always like, you know, kids, this is just a story, right? Oh, you know, and like, cause my oldest one, she'll be like, is there really, you know, a moose walking around (laughs) with pajamas in the forest? And I'm like, no, honey, not at all. Yeah, I mean, so, it, we, we try really hard to be accurate as we can and, and still have it, like, be playful and friendly for the kids. It's just, it's one of my pet peeves is little inaccuracies uh, when it comes to wildlife in general, whether it's a kid's book or whether it's a movie. Those things have always bugged me. And uh, especially when kids are really young, they, I think they, they need to know, like, the truth. <laughs> I just got to give them the truth. Yeah, no, that's that's totally uh, um, just accurate on that i mean a lot of the other books that i get them to they've actually got now that they're getting older trying to get them into stuff to where they can identify things and then there's actually sources cited in the back that you can kind of reference if you want to go deeper for them i think that's totally awesome Um, yeah um so kind of tell me a little bit about like how many books you guys got out now because i know it started out with like four or five um Mm -hmm. and then what, what are you guys up to now uh, just like you said, the first, our first, uh, series, our conservation one series was five books. We released our second series this past August. So last year of 2020, we released our second series, which was a three book set uh, about fish. And right now, actually we're, we're working on our next book and it's actually going to be a single, it's gonna be our first time putting out a single book by itself. And it's going to be uh, it's a little bit different. It's still similar, but um, 
it's different. <laughs> it's it's still got a conservation uh, purpose, but it's uh, it's different. <laughs> Stay tuned for that one. So, can you give us any more hints than that? If you like dogs, you'll like this book. Okay. All right. Are we talking like field dogs or training or? <laughs> I'm not a chihuahua kind of guy. Just put it that way. <laughs> okay. All right. That's cool. Um, hopefully it's retrievers or something fun. Um, but so let's kind of talk about like, what, how'd you grow up? What'd you do? I mean, I'm pretty sure you, you're a transplant from the Midwest, aren't you? Uh, no, actually I, I was born here in Texas. Uh, me and all my siblings were born here. We, we moved when I was, uh, I think five, we spent a decade in California and then another little over a decade I spent in Cal or in Florida before moving back here, I guess back in 2009. So I've been here for a while now. Um, <laughs> but I've been everywhere, man. I think it's funny that you told me you don't like the heat, but it seems like every state you've ever lived in, <laughs> it's pretty warm. <laughs> That's probably why I don't like it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Can't escape it. I guess. Um, so yeah, look, like, how did you grow up? Um, did you grow up in a hunting family? Were you hunting from a young age? What was, uh, what was that kind of like? Uh, yeah, my dad got my brother and I hunting. Um, I, from before I can remember really, I can't, I don't think I really remember the first time I was out. Uh, I have some very young memories, but I don't know which one was the first. And then my brother and my two sisters, we'd go fishing out on the boat. We'd go for sunfish and catfish and some bass sometimes, um, all from very young ages. And, uh, that just continued through, um, when we moved to California, we obviously it was a little bit different. Uh, we changed from fishing panfish to going to like uh, lakes that have been stocked for rainbow trout and catching a bunch of trout, still doing the hunting thing. And, you know, eventually we got old enough, my brother and I to start doing things on our own and we've expanded into a lot more big game hunting in the, in the last maybe 10 years or so. And uh, still in the bird hunting and fishing, but big game hunting has taken up a lot more of our our uh, energy. So when you say big game hunting, are you talking like uh, chasing elk or high country mule deer or like Audad and West Texas? What are you going after? A little bit of everything, really. I mean, we, a lot of whitetail hunting naturally, just because they're abundance down here and in Florida also where we started hunting uh, them. But we've we've chased elk, we've chased pronghorn, we've chased uh, bears, we've chased a, a lot of different things. I shot a I shot a, actually a mouflon sheep on a public unit down here, I think two years ago. The archery equipment, that was pretty cool. Um, it's an exotic sheep that, you know, is feral in some places. Yep. No, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, Texas is such a different and diverse like ecosystem that it's able to host all these different exotic animals and and uh whenever they were brought there i don't even know you know the story of each species but it's pretty cool that they've thrived and flourished to the point where there is actually wild you know herds or whatever of all these different types of deer and animals it's pretty neat yeah for sure um I've seen some weird things when I've out on these, some of these public properties out here. Actually, one's like probably 30 minutes from Marble Falls, uh, which you were talking about before we got on. Um, and I saw an elk walk across <laughs> right, behind, right behind some does, some white-tailed does, as I was glassing them from across 
a little valley there. And it, the, I talked to the, uh, the, I guess it was the, 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 the National Wildlife Refuge officer. I told him about it and he didn't believe me. He's like, well, there's no elk on this property. But <laughs> lo and behold, the next year they, they added exotics, including elk to that list. So okay. yeah, elk down here are, are considered exotics. Which, which, um, so if it's considered an exotic, it's a non-native species and you're able to hunt that without having some special tag, right? Yeah. I mean, it depends on, on the unit you go to. Some units, uh, you're allowed to shoot exotics, period, across the board, whatever that's not native you can shoot. Uh, some units, some wildlife management areas or refuges specify what you're allowed to take, what you're not allowed to take. And the way they have it written into the rules, um, they may have written the rules for that unit or that, that refuge 10 years ago when there, there weren't exotics there, they weren't specific types of exotics. So unless that exotic was put on that specific list or they made a broad general statement, then you, it's off limits until they go back and revise it, hmm. which was the, which was, was the case when I saw that elk. That's interesting. Cause I know like some places out in West Texas, they're actually added to it because I always, my cousin lives down there. Um, and he's always trying to get me to come out and get a tag. And he's like, Hey man, if an elk comes through, you, you could take an elk too. And it's all, you don't even need a tag. It's all part of your hunting license. So, um, I think that's pretty neat. But so one thing I've noticed about Texas and God bless Texas, I do love Texas, but, um, every, everybody wants you to come down to Texas and hunt. Oh, we've got a million hogs. We've got, you know, a huge hog problem. Come on down and hunt it. And then you say, okay, yeah, I'll come down and hunt it. And they're good. Well, for $500, you can hunt yeah. it or something. And I've never seen anything to where somebody has such a problem with something, but yet they're not willing to let it go for, you know, for free or have somebody help take the problem off your hands. It's, it's yeah. pretty interesting. It's, it's kind of sad because I mean, they are such a big problem down here and just like most, I mean, everywhere they are, they're a big problem, but we have so many of them down here, but they are so highly valuable financially to those ranchers. They can make so much money off hog hunts. <laughs> so there's, there's that financial incentive for them to continue charging for it. But there are, there are quite a few public properties actually down here that people might not uh, think of Texas as a public land type of place, but there is a surprisingly good amount. You'll get mixed reports from all kinds of people, but I am a very strong advocate of the public land system we have here for what it is. It's it's a very small percent. It's like one or two percent of Texas is public, but it's also a really huge state. So we have a couple million acres of public land that is accessible in some way or another. So and all of it, almost all of it has hogs on it. So if you want to hunt hogs, you can come down here. You can do it for almost free, buy your license. <laughs> so let's kind of talk about that a little bit then. Were you kind of the guy that was just like, no, I don't want to spend 2500 bucks a year on a lease? Or what was the, the kind of purpose behind? Because um, I'm sure there was plenty of public land down in Florida where you hunted and probably could get a deer a day. Or I've heard crazy crazy things like that to where you could almost get a deer a day or something like that. So, I mean, when you came back to Texas, was it like, holy cow, or what was the, the incentive for hunting the public? Uh, I'm a teacher, so I can't afford not to. <laughs> so 
yeah, so just budget. I, I'm a frugal person by nature. I don't like spending a lot of money. I don't like uh, being catered to. I like the difficulty of of certain things in life and the accomplishment, the feeling of, of accomplishment that you get from working hard. I've gone on one guided hunt. It was a goose hunt, and it didn't have that feeling. <laughs> I've hunted private properties a couple times here and there because of, of invites. And it's fun. It, it's, it's a different kind of experience. Um, and nothing against any folks who, who hunt private property or have leases. Just, you know, it's, it's a different type of experience. And it's not generally the type of experience that I am particularly looking for. Yeah, no, it's funny you say that. I um, The only guided hunt I've ever gone on was... <laughs> A goose hunt as well. It was a snow goose hunt in like western Nebraska, I think it was, out in the middle of nowhere. Drove forever to get there. The only hotel in town had bed bugs. It was like crazy. Um, And uh, this guy, it was, I don't even know the guy's name, but it was was like the worst guide ever. Um, They never changed their spreads whatsoever. It was the same spread. The geese were used to flying over it. And, you know, you hear all these stories, right, about like snow geese. Oh, my gosh, it's so fun. You can you can shoot 100 of them in a day, however many you want. You can uh, put a magazine extension on or tube extension on your shotgun and just load it full of shells and just blast all day. Uh, man, so first day we shoot like <laughs> we shoot like five or maybe six, and we were the best field. So the best oh, wow. field gets the worst field the next day. So we shot six. We're the best field. Get the worst field the next day. We had like uh, a triple coming in like real low and behind us. And it was actually one snow. And I can't remember what the other species was. It was like a snow, a gray, and something else. And you could shoot the grays and you could shoot the snow goose. And I don't remember what the other one was. So I like leaned behind me, shot, and I dropped the gray. And the guy got all mad at me because it was with the other one, but there was like 15 feet in between that goose and the next goose. But anyway, so he yelled and him and I kind of had a few words and I'm like, you put us on the crappiest field. I'm sitting here all day. We're falling asleep. I go and shoot one and drop one. And you're going to get mad at me because I was, you know, however many feet away from this other goose. And, uh, needless to say, it wasn't a good time <laughs> at that's, all, that's but, bizarre. but, um, so that was my kind of one and only guide experience. And ever since then, I'd rather have tag soup, I think, than have a have a crappy guide for sure. I'm with you, man, because some of the best hunts I've been on, I've gone home empty-handed. I think a lot of hunters are able to relate to that. Oh, yeah. So like my buddy, Johnny Mack, he talks all the time about, you know, replenishing your soul and getting out there and, you know, seeking your own adventure and finding your primal adventure and, and uh Every time I go out there, I find that I don't even care if it's like an hour away from my house, something always happens to where there's that magic moment, you know, in the woods or you're, uh, you're just truly finding something new out about yourself or pushing yourself further, trying to achieve something. And I I think that's, uh, just awesome the way that works. Oh, for sure. Always something. So (laughs) let's kind of talk about, uh, you're kind of, I mean, you hunt whitetails and stuff on uh, Texas public land too. So there's no feeders involved or anything like that. What, how are you going about it? What are you doing? Uh, so most, most of the public property, no feeders are allowed. 
There are some draw hunts on wildlife, certain wildlife management areas where you're allowed to put out feed. But for the vast majority of the public land here, no, no, no feed allowed. Now, private property is a whole different story. You can feed all you want, whatever you want. There's no, no rules on that at all. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I hunt whitetails a lot, especially this past year. I had a lot of extra free time. <laughs> I was out in the woods more than I have been probably in five or six years, to be honest. And this is the first year I haven't shot a deer in a really, really long time. So it was one of those years where I was I put in more hours in the wood, put in more time, did a lot more scouting, but didn't come home with anything this year. So it was kind of interesting. I, I don't know. It was a good kick to my ego, um, which I think forced me to look at what I was doing. I was doing a lot of um being impatient i think i wasn't sitting as long in the tree i was getting down doing a lot more walking and and, and like scout hunting which doesn't really pay off especially when you get like thick pine woods up here and a lot of brush <laughs> you end up bumping a lot of deer which i do i did see several deer but you know i just i don't know i just i didn't have a good a good gear in terms of putting meat in the freezer for white tails yeah, I was a little, a little humbled by that. So let's kind of let's dive into that because I find that interesting. Yeah. Um, so what what drove you to what? I mean, was it just like the, the the anxiousness of trying to find that deer or get one caused you to not you know stay longer or sit sit longer in that spot or I mean, what kind of did that to you? Well, a couple a combination of different things. There's one area I, I've I've been really addicted to that I keep going back to because I, I saw a buck about four or five years back there that was like I'll never see a deer like that again. Like you can go to Bass Pro Shops and look at a deer <laughs> on the wall and it, and it's as big as as those. It had three main beams, junk all over the place. It was twenty yards from me and I was already tagged out. So it was I, I kept going back there year after year, year after year. I started passing on small deer, which is not in my nature at all. Um, so I, I kind of got into this, like, this funk of that one tree, that one spot. I, I started hunting that way too much. So this year, I started the season off doing that. And then I said, to heck with that. I'm going to go just do something totally different and try to try to find something and that caused me to do a lot of walking. Um, I shot a couple of hogs this year on, on stand. If I if I see a hog on stand, I'm not going to pass it up. If I see a hog, I shoot a hog. Um, they just need to go, and they taste really good. So I don't mind like scrapping a deer hunt for a hog any, any day of the week. So I don't know it's just a combination of those things. Just just uh, trying to get out of that funk I've been in the last few years of that one spot. It was paying off. I was I end up at the end of the year, either shooting a doe or a, a spike or something like that. But I, I had to, I had to peel myself out of there and just go do something else. So let's, we're going to, we're going to jump back to the hog thing. Cause I've got some questions, but like, what was your biggest, I, I know you said your takeaway was you weren't sitting still, but like, what's your biggest takeaway or your learning experience from that to where next season you're going to apply that or use it differently or something of that nature 
Uh, yeah, so my big takeaway is to do more pre-season scouting rather than during the season scouting. Um, that I think that that's probably the, the number one factor of me not like actually putting a deer on the ground was me like scouting on the go and, and not having having a, a really good plan going into the season. So this summer is going to be a little bit more busy for scouting and hopefully I'll have spots A, B, C, D, and E ready to go whenever I need to go to them and not find a spot while I'm hunting. So with that being said, do you do any like e-scouting on the computer or any work like that then to try and uh, narrow it down at least where you can find some like draws or pinch points or something like that? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of like draws. To, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You're Houston. It's pretty area. flat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, there's definitely pinch points. There's a, it could be a younger, younger stand of plant of pines that, that pinch down to a point. Um that goes into like a, a, like a path of thicker brush where they travel from one stand of pines where they're bedding down during the day. Um, so on, on the, the, yeah, let me, let me re-say, rephrase this. Sure. <laughs> Cause I, I don't think I even understood what I just said. So I, I tend to hunt the edge of planted pines, like younger, younger stands of planted pines where they butt up against, areas where they've already thinned out the forest so that there's a lot more uh, underbrush and browse for the deer along those edges. So I'll, I'll look for those areas where a planted pine patch narrows down to a, to a, to a travel corridor or to a, another patch of pines. Yeah. No. So do you ever like look for bedding and uh, like try and get them coming off the bedding or anything like that? Or what do you, Besides just the transitions like that. So no, I don't, I don't really try to, to look for beddings. It's not really what I do ever, to be honest. I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. Uh, I just look for areas where they're going to be traveling because honestly, I don't, I don't know if a bedding area would do any good here. There's so much pressure uh, from all kinds of, places all every side of the forest is getting pressure so i try to find areas where i know they're, they're gonna be traveling and you know if someone bumps them they're gonna travel through that area hopefully if they're going from food to bed they're gonna travel to that area hopefully nice so yeah i just try to find like a really good travel trail what about water i mean is that pretty hard to find or get on to sit on I'm a, I'm in east, I hunt East Texas a lot, so there's not really uh, a lack of water. Even in like the, the the hot summer, it rains pretty often, so water is never an issue. And uh, there's a creek that goes through the main forest. I'll say is it's 162,000 acres. It's Sam Houston National Forest. That's where I do most of my my deer hunting. It has has it's on a lake. Um, has creeks going through it. Has plenty of hog wallows all through it and, and a couple of ponds here and there. So there's, there's no lack of water and with the rains, there's always puddles. So no, I don't have water. Nice. <laughs> so needless to say, they've got plenty of water there. Then I just uh, kind of find it interesting. Cause once you get out towards like West Texas and stuff like that, I mean, it, it seems like if, if you're not on a watering hole or a feeder, you might not even see the animal because you don't yeah. know where it's traveling or transitioning or any of that kind of stuff. I always find it interesting because it's so much different. Um, I mean, the concept is the same, right? We're going to try and get in between them to where we know they're going to travel. But 
um, like I like hunting big uh, wide open river bottoms and stuff like that, or a little bit of tall grass on some open prairie with some, uh, you know, tree lines and stuff that they'll follow. But um, it's it's always kind of neat to see what other people and the the environments that they're hunting in so much different. Like, I mean, in Florida, I'm sure it was a completely different animal down there. Um, what was that kind of like? Yeah, actually, I had Florida hunting out figured out, I think, better than Texas. Um, I hunted the swamps a lot. There's a lot of swamps I hunted over there. So it's, it's, it's actually amazing how many deer will just walk through a swamp. They didn't, they didn't care about the water. Like they would walk <laughs> knee high, waist high, belly high. They didn't care, but it, it, you always want to find some taller, higher spots. that could be a 10 yard little hammock where they're going to end up bedding. So they'll, they'll travel through the swamp, but there's, there's, you're always looking for those, those higher hammocks. Um, oftentimes palm trees uh where they would bed up in the middle of a swamp and yeah it was it was actually a lot of fun because you could hear them just walking through the water it was (laughs) you would never have a deer sneak up on you so it it definitely helped me um yeah it was actually a lot of fun that's would, would you uh would you wear waders or how would you go in and go after them um in in the later year like the later part of the year like that week of winter we would have like in January um, right before deer season ended, we, we might wear hip waders. Uh, but most of the year it, it's warm enough where you just walk in. You're wading, just, wading through just, the water. Just wading through the water or, or you, or you, you can have a buddy drop you off on a boat sometimes to certain spots. Like uh, one of the spots we'd, we'd uh, come up on the backside of a river on the backside of this refuge and it was a short walk in from the river. Usually it was also a tidal river too. So we'd try to catch on a low tide if possible. So it was a little bit easier, but it was always wet. You're always wet. There's just no way around <laughs> it. How were uh, the snakes and skeeters and all that good stuff? Yeah, they were, they were, um, what's the word? Uh, active. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots, lots of, Lots of mosquitoes. The first year, the first year I moved to Florida um, from California, very dry uh, northern, like Sacramento area of California. Mosquitoes. I didn't really understand what mosquitoes were. I hunted a swamp the first year in Florida um, during archery season in September. Oh my god, it was the most miserable experience of my life. I had I counted on my left hand. I remember it so distinctly over 200 mosquito bites on the top of my left hand. Oh. And, and that was just like how my, my body was. Cause it was 90 degrees. still. I was, I was wearing short sleeves. It was, it was a miserable, miserable experience, but thermocells came out and thermocells are the best thing that have ever been invented for the hunting woods. So that's, <laughs> I never used to use the thermocell. Um, never really hunted too much early season. I was kind of, I was the guy who waited till it was cold, all that kind of stuff. But then I started hunting public land and everything changed because it's like, wow, nobody's hunting football season's going on. Nobody's doing that. I mean, COVID kind of changed things, right? That kind of really, really changed things. But pre COVID it was like people, if if it was a Saturday or Sunday, you could be a weekend warrior. Nobody was out there a Monday night. Um, 
because there was football games on. People are at home watching it. They're not going out hunting. They're waiting until the conditions are better. Or they're going to be one of those rut hunters. Yeah. And it was just awesome. I couldn't believe how I had free reign of the place. But then a few of the spots I was hunting, it was a real wet year, and it was just a swamp. And I'm sitting in the tree, and I'm wearing, like, base layer and everything, still kind of hot and sweating. And these mosquitoes are getting through my base layer and biting me, and I'm like, twitching and i'm thinking oh my gosh this is miserable how the hell am i going to do this for you know however many days i'm going to do it till it gets cold enough to where it kills them off and and i'm sitting in the tree stand and i'm texting a buddy and i'm like this is miserable i think i'm going to get down i got my face covered and they're still getting in they're buzzing you know on my ears and he's like dude just get a thermosel and i'm like okay yeah you know what i'm an (laughs) idiot right so i'm in my tree stand and um I prime one up, right? You know, right on my phone in the tree stand, prime one up. And instantly it just, it was just enough morale booster to, and he, and he texts me back and he's like, yeah, too bad a drone couldn't drop it off. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? (laughs) You might be onto something there. We're probably not too far away from that, but yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely a game changer. And then, and then last year it was kind of crazy. It was colder enough in October early season to where you didn't even have to worry about mosquitoes, but, um, I've, I've got one now, so I've only used it once, I think since I've had it, but Hang it's, on uh, to it, man. It's, yeah, they're, they're lifesavers. So, I mean, do you use it a lot down in Texas or no? Oh yeah. Uh, we, I'll use it clearing into December down here. That's crazy. It, That's crazy. Yeah. It, it, like in like November, December, this year was super hot. But generally, November, December, any given weekend, it could be in the 30s or it could be in the upper 70s. It just, it, it, it there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just a, just a flip of the coin. So but, it's funny that you say that because we were talking a little bit earlier and you said this year it was super hot. It was super <laughs> hot down in Texas until it wasn't. And, right. and it literally, literally froze over. So you, you want to go into that story? Yeah, sure. Um, so it was super hot, and then it wasn't. Um, yeah, that, that cold front came through, and we have zero infrastructure for snow or ice. Like, There's no point of, of us having it. We would never use it. It would go out of date and rust to pieces before we ever use it. So, that, so the cities here, Houston, and any other city around here doesn't, doesn't own, like, cold weather like traffic gears it's just unheard of so anyway anytime we get a a, a freeze down here where there's any ice schools close down doesn't matter how much ice it is schools close down because we can't have buses on the roads with kids because we have huge overpasses all the place and we don't have salt on the roads so we close this year i don't know what happened um that Arctic front pushed through and it dumped ice and rain and snow and it stayed like (laughs) it's not uncommon for, for Houston to see snow every, you know, two years or three years, like to see it, it hits the ground. It goes away in like a minute or two to an hour or two this year. It stayed all day, all the next day, all the next day. There was a good a good three days where the city shut down, the state shut down, power went out, water pipes froze, people were freaking out. No one knows how to winterize anything over here. It was a mess. 
but I was still out hunting. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was so happy for that weather. Um, I actually had a draw hunt that I was uh, hunting at a wildlife management area. Um, it was like a 45 minute drive, but it took me like two hours to get there. Um, it was just slow going on the frozen roads. It was, I was the only car on the road pretty much, but if I go in too fast around t- turns and yep, it, it was pretty it was, icy, <laughs> it was slick. but, uh, it was a hog hunt that I drew and I saw so many hogs and it, it was just all day long. There were just packs of hogs coming by. I, I saw some of the biggest hogs I've ever seen just out in the middle of the day, just feeding, I ended up shooting two two hogs, taking one of them home. The other one I, I left in the woods because when I opened her up, her liver and intestines were just not healthy looking. They were had like really black uh, veins on them, running through the intestines and the liver, and had like uh, ulcers all over the liver. So I figured it just safer to, to let let that meat go to the coyotes. But uh, I did end up bringing a two hundred pound sow home and made some sausage out of her but it was great it was like 15 degrees when i got there when i left it was in the 20s still it was just it was such a great hunt just because i wasn't sweating wasn't fighting mosquitoes (laughs) (laughs) i gotta ask you though i mean did you have the proper gear i mean did you have the right hunting clothes to be going and doing that or yeah yeah Yeah, no for sure i I do I, i do a lot of waterfowl hunting so like my waterfowl jacket's usually my like cold weather jacket with the even for deer hunting um but you know like i've said like my brother and i we've started doing a lot of uh like big game western hunting also over the last several years so we've 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 got we've got some good equipment um in our arsenal now that we we can stay nice and warm so what'd you have i gotta ask though for so you're traveling on these roads texas roads icy most people can't even uh get around on them and so you're driving to this hog hunt. Did you have like provisions or like some kind of survival prep, you know, some type of kit or anything with you in order to, to sustain to sustain life more than a few days if you got stuck somewhere or what? Yeah, I have my rifle. Oh, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> uh, no, it, it was actually supposed to be a three day hunt. Um, I came I came back after two days. Um. Yeah, I, just, I came back after two days. I don't remember why. I think I just got like, I think I just over it. We, we are you're assigned to one blind, so you're hunting okay. blind. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was it was kind of like, all right, I've sat here enough. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty funny though. <laughs> so next time though, you should be a little bit more prepared. I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw that out there so that way. If you did get stranded, you'd be able to survive and make it because I don't know, just because you got a rifle, what if you can't uh, make a fire or, or, you know, a blanket to keep warm or whatever. But um, (laughs) we could talk more about that later. But anyway, so let's talk about this hog meat. So you get these hogs, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I've heard different things like you take it and you put it on ice and you put more ice over it and let, let the water run through it. But to me, that doesn't seem like an actual practice of how you should be handling meat, letting the water run through it. I don't know. I could be wrong. What do, what do you do? Yeah, so there's 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 a there's a big difference between how folks down in the south treat their meat and people in the west and the north treat their meat. Um, yes, bacteria 
grows in wet conditions. We know this, right? I'm a science teacher. This is true. <laughs> Bacteria like moist places. However, an ice bath is not going to uh, create a situation where bacteria is going to flourish that fast. And when it's 90 degrees, 100 degrees, 80 degrees, you want to get that meat cooled down as fast as possible because by the time it's it's getting into your cooler in the first place, it's probably already been an hour or two since you shot, the, shot that animal. And it's going to be just about as hot as it was when you shot it because of the temperatures. So you want to get the meat cooled down as, as fast as possible. I have given many hindquarters and shoulders an ice bath and I've let them sit in ice water for many days on end with absolutely zero consequence to it. Now, I also have in cold weather been able to put meat in game bags and hang it. And it, it's a lot easier to work with for sure. Um, I think that it, it's, probably more sanitary i'm sure it has to be <laughs> but at the end of the day especially a hog you're cooking that meat all the way through you have to cook it well done any bacteria that you you did you did grow in your hog petri dish is going to be killed by your cooking anyway but for deer i mean yeah i don't know i'm i'm, I'm not <laughs> i'm not the fda man <laughs> so i'm just kind of curious because it's like um I mean, and you see some people that they take it and they'll throw it in the back of the truck and it'll be there for three, four hours, right? And then they take it to the processor and the processor deals with it or whatever. But to me, it's like, ah, man, I don't, I don't know, the hot Texas heat. <laughs> just, I would rather have it in a cooler, but I just don't, the whole concept to me of letting the water run through it, it changes sure. the meat, uh, kind of makes it like a slimier, I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the, the meat in the in 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 the cold water is absolutely going to be slimier. Yeah, that's good <laughs> for sure. It's going to be waterlogged. You know, you're not allowing that that those those juices to soak out of the meat and, and give it like like a dry age type of thing. You're not going to get any crust on it. Uh, I mean, if I have a choice, if if I was uh, New Mexico elk hunt in December again. I'm hanging the meat every single right. time in the cold. Absolutely. I'm not going to stick it in the ice. I'll put it on top of the ice when I'm done. When I'm, I'm done. Yeah, for sure. But <laughs> you got to get the meat cold regardless. Like, I mean, yeah, like, I don't care. I'd rather have wet, cold meat than dry, hot meat yeah. with fly, flies all over it. Yeah, I'd rather have you know, meat that's somewhat preserved versus rotten meat for sure. Um, so let me ask you though, what, what's your favorite, uh, thing that you've hunted and you know, the whole public, what was your favorite hunt that you've ever had in Texas on public? In Texas, uh, I got drawn two years ago for a really coveted mule deer tag in the big Bend area, uh, in West Texas. Yep. Um, it's actually on YouTube put it up on YouTube. I'm not a YouTuber, but I have a couple things on there. It was a really, really cool time. My brother and I, brother and I went out there. He went with me and videoed it for me. Uh, my first mule deer hunt, it was my first, first mule deer I shot. And it was a really, really cool place to be. It was beautiful beyond imagine. Like it was just a really pretty, 
place to be and and to to see deer in that place and to shoot a deer there was just a, one of those one of those things in my life that I'll be looking back to for a very very long time is a very special moment. Was, there's only 12 tags given out there a year, and thousands of people apply for that tag. So it's it, I'll never probably hunt there again. It was a really great experience, and hands down, probably out of all my hunts, probably like the top one or two ever that I've ever been on. No, that's awesome. So um, you were successful? Yeah. I'm taking it. So, um, I mean, was it a decent or trophy or trophy in your mind or what? what Trophy in my my mind, yeah. It's a three by three with with eye guards. He's not a huge buck. He's he's an older buck. He's got a little Roman nose going on him. Got some grays in his muzzle. He was he was rutting really hard on a doe, chasing her around when I when I saw him and when I shot him. So it was a really cool cool thing to watch. You could hear them running and the, their hooves on the ground, the rocks, and him grunting. And that doe wanted nothing to do with him, and she was just hauling butt. It was a really it's a really cool cool situation no that's pretty neat so i gotta ask you one more thing um so do you feel like it's an upgrade going from the florida deer to the texas deer because they're so much bigger (laughs) it was a joke it was a little bit of a jab but (laughs) no i no not at all um yeah i do because i i i was just actually thinking about this today i was like i was wondering if if it wasn't for the meat aspect of hunting would i still hunt like if I, if I was not allowed to keep the meat, if I had to donate all the meat, would I still hunt? I was like, man, that'd be a really tough decision because I really love, love eating wild game. Right. So bumping up from the Florida deer, like a, like a, a good mature deer in like central to South Florida would be like a hundred pounds, 110 pounds would be a really good mature buck. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like a, like, a, like a three and a half year old, he'd be like 120 pounds, maybe. That's like a Over yearling. <laughs> oh, it's like a fawn the, in some places. It's like, it's like a yearling <laughs> in the Midwest or a fawn. Yeah. <laughs> even that, I, even the deer here, like a, like a big, big bodied East Texas deer, big, good, mature buck is going to be like 150 pounds. So a little bit bigger than Florida, but still small compared to y'all. <laughs> um, I actually had a buddy come down from Alaska a couple of years back, and he shot a whitetail. And he said it was smaller than, than the Sitka deer over there in Alaska. And Sitka, <laughs> yeah. Sitka deers are regarded as being a very small. Small deer. little agile. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he, he, this guy, he, he carries it out over his shoulders whole. I was like, well, you're just showing off, man. I was like, I got a cart. <laughs> I was like, we'll wheel that thing out. He carries it over his shoulders. Cam Haynes uh, in it. <laughs> exactly. His name is Ryan Carter. If you want to go on his Instagram, it's the o- the OG of IG. Go give him some, some garbage. Nice. That's pretty funny, man. Um, no, that's awesome. So, um, okay, you, you mentioned that about your – that was your most uh, memorable. So what, what would the next one be that you were going to say if I didn't put Texas in that category? Um, the New Mexico elk kind of went on a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was a really fun time. It was 
super challenging. We sh- we shot a a bull down in really nasty kind of gorgey area. Um, steep hike out. It, we almost died the, on the first hike out that night, like two o'clock in the morning. We came across a scree field and uh, yeah, it was a little sketchy. We, we started started going downhill fast and had to had to leap. Was leap. it in the Gila? <laughs> No, it was way up north in the, in the very northern part of the, of the state, close to Colorado. Nice. Yeah, it was a difficult hunt. Uh, the pack out was difficult. I mean, it, for people who are used to it, it probably isn't. But coming from like zero foot altitude going to 8,000 8, foot, it makes it a lot difficult. And, and just I... not used to it. I used to it. I'm probably like maybe 200 feet in elevation higher than you are. So I totally get it. I mean, you're a mountain man to us. So I'm, I'm like 400 and something feet elevation where I'm at. So I, I, I get where you're coming from. And so you were probably close to like the edge of the San Juans or something like, or in the edge of, you know, the San Juans or something like that. I get it. That is rugged, rugged country, man. And, um, if you're coming from the Midwest, man, you better, or even, you know, the, the, the South or something, you better be ready for it. Cause it's going to kick your butt. There's no sure. getting around it. And the crazy part is you can, you can go into that situation being in really good shape. Like you can, you can run, but still like it's, it's <laughs> acclimation. It's, it, yeah. It's great. It's, it's just, it's just different. Like, and, and it's the funny part is like, I almost met up with, uh, couple different people in Montana last spring. I went there for a bear hunt who live up there. They ended up not being able to make it. But the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I know hiking into these places with these, these people, I'm going to be stopping 10 times there one, one time. And, and I'm, nope. like, I'm like, this is going to be humiliating. <laughs> but <laughs> No, that's, that's funny. Like I did the same thing this past, like last summer. I went to the Western Hunting Summit and I was there and we did a hike in and it was like seven miles. Um, and I was totally prepared for it. And uh, something, I don't know if it was like post, post-COVID or something like that and my lungs just couldn't handle it or what it was, but I had more problems with my lungs, like altitude adjustment than I've ever, ever, ever had. And it was kind of like, it was messed up. You know, I was like, man, I just, I can't catch my breath no matter what I do. And, uh, so kind of cool that, you know, I've experienced it, but hopefully I don't ever experience it again. And, and, um, you know, you could just get your two days of acclimation or one day of acclimation and go yeah. after it. But, um, I, I can finally say that, yeah, I've kind of experienced that where I couldn't catch quite catch my breath and just had to take it easy and take it slow. But yeah, altitude, altitude's no joke for sure. Yeah, but so the way I, I kind of got over myself, the way I kind of got over myself uh, thinking thinking like that was, if they ever came down here, would they be able to stand the heat, humidity, and mosquitoes? So probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so sorry, sorry to ruin that for you. <laughs> Because you got to think they'd be breathing a heck of a lot easier than you do on your own terms. Yeah, so that's true. That's true. That's but, true. <laughs> sorry to ruin that for you, but I I yeah, tried thinking man. like that too. But um, no, that's uh, 
definitely probably not the case. No, it's been good. Uh, good conversation. Great talking to you, man. I don't want to keep you up all night. Um, but so you want to tell everybody about the books one more time and um, where they can find them and where they can find you? Yeah, sure. So smileoutside.com is, is the best place to find us. You can order the books directly from there. Uh, we do have several retailers across the country. We recently actually got into Cabela's too. So we're at 20, 27 different Cabela stores. Um, but our website is probably the best place. And if you go there, uh, especially for your listeners, we'll give them a promo code. Um, PC15, we'll give them 15% off. And uh, don't forget that at least 50 cents from every single book that we sell goes to conservation organizations to help create, protect, and manage healthy lands, wildlife for the future. So come check us out, and we'd be happy to send some books out to you, and we appreciate y'all's support. No, it's awesome, man. James, thank you for coming on and sharing, and make sure everybody that's listening, go check it out. Use that promo code and save yourself 15%. So that's PC15, and uh, definitely go check out their books. If you've got kids, I guarantee you they're going to enjoy them, and you're going to enjoy the fact that you are giving them an education and not giving them some kind of false, uh, false idea of what an animal is, or, you know, a dog that quacks or something goofy. So, um, thank you, James, so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing, sharing your hunt experiences down there in the public grounds of Texas and, uh, the awesome books you guys are putting out. So thank you so much. Awesome. Lucas. Appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.